starts, and, and as, as it starts, uh, the debate that Jesus has been having with the scribes and the Pharisees is over. Everyone knows it's over. Jesus has silenced his enemies. The, the scribes, the Pharisees, they know it's over. They have nothing left to say to Jesus. Every time they have brought a question to Jesus or they've tried to set a trap for Jesus, it's, he's taken it, he's turned it around, and he's, he's exposed their hypocrisy and their pride and, and, and their unbelief and their sin and their rebellion. Um, and and uh, every time Jesus has asked them a question, it's done the same thing. They've, they've been left unable to, to answer. Chapter 22 ends like this, and now uh, and no one was able to answer Jesus a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So the debate is over, but they're still in the temple, uh, and, and the crowds are still gathered around, and Jesus still has more to say, not now to the scribes and Pharisees themselves, but about them. Uh, be, because they were so influential in, in, in his culture. And in, in, in that day, among the crowds that he's speaking to, uh, they were respected. People listened to them. People paid attention to them. People followed them. Um, this was true of the crowds. It was true of Jesus' disciples as well, that so much of what they thought about a right relationship with God, about, about, about their faith, about their religion, so much of it was shaped and dominated by the examples of the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, and the religious leaders of, of Judaism. So Jesus wants the crowds to know, and he wants his disciples to know, what separates him from the scribes and Pharisees. What separates the world of the scribes and Pharisees from, from the kingdom of heaven. And, he, and he's, he's telling them here, brothers and sisters, that it's not just an, a side issue here and a side issue there that separates Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees or, 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 or those who follow them and those who follow Christ. What, what separates them is not paying taxes to Caesar or eating a little bit of grain on the Sabbath, not, 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 not a small side kind of thing, but, but, but the gospel. Legalism on the one hand, the gospel of grace on the other hand. Pride on one hand, humility on one hand. Hypocrisy on one hand, sincerity on the other hand. These, Jesus is saying that the scribes and Pharisees aren't just taking a different approach to God, but that they have a different religion altogether. That, it, that it's distinct, it's, it's a different thing. So in light of this, he's turning to the crowds and he's turning to his disciples in the crowd and he's saying... Brothers and sisters, be different. You be different. Don't follow their example. Don't, don't reduce your relationship with God to, to something you do to get glory for yourself. You be different. Don't reduce God and following God to a set of rules that, that you follow, a prop for your pride. But be, you be different. You humble yourself before God and before each other. And brothers and sisters, we don't have scribes and Pharisees going around setting an example for us or telling us how to live as Christians. Um, we're not in danger of, of, of their example. Um, even in the Gospels, we read it and we know that they're, they're the bad guys. Don't do what they do. Um, and yet, our hearts are just as much prone to hypocrisy and legalism and pride as, as theirs were. 
and, and, and our culture, just as much as Jesus' culture was prone to hypocrisy and legalism and pride, to, to, to seeking to get attention for yourself and get praise for yourself and doing things to be seen by others, a culture of putting yourself forward, putting yourself ahead uh, at, at the cost and expense of others. And our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to be different, calls us not to just be slightly different, but he calls us to be thoroughly, deeply different, to be profoundly humble and, and, and permeated with sincerity under the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I want to look at two headings as we unpack this text together. First, we'll look at what Jesus condemns, and then we will look at what Jesus commands. What Jesus condemns, and then what Jesus Commands. So first, verses 1 through 7, we see Jesus, uh, what Jesus condemns. He condemns, first of all here, hypocrisy. Um, he's already challenged the scribes and Pharisees about their hypocrisy. Um, he told them a parable back in Matthew 21. You might remember this one. Uh, it's about the two sons. And, and Jesus is in this parable. There's the, the father. He tells one of the sons, the first son, to go do something. And the son says, yes, I'll do it. And he goes off, and he doesn't do it. And then the father tells the second son to do something, and the second son says, no way, I'm not going to do that. And then he repents, and he goes and he obeys. Jesus says, which son did God's will? Uh, Obviously, the second son, who didn't just say something good and then not obey, but the one who who obeyed, who repented, and, and who did what God had asked him to do. Jesus had pointed that right at the Pharisees to say, you talk a good talk, you say you obey, but you're not obeying at all. And what Jesus says here is very similar. He says, you're, they might use the right words, but their lives are the exact opposite of what you should be doing. He acknowledges, first of all, Jesus acknowledges that they do sit in Moses' seat and, and speak with, with authority and, and on, on the law of, of Moses. Um, there was a seat in the synagogue, and, and the teacher would sit in that seat as he taught. And Jesus is saying, they have a position they have a certain amount of authority. As long as they say what Moses said, then listen to them because they're speaking the, the Scriptures. Jesus isn't saying, listen to everything the scribes and Pharisees say. We see him throughout the Gospel saying, well, don't listen to them on that issue or on that issue. So, but he's saying here, when they're speaking what Moses says, listen to them. Um, and, and do what they say to do. But then this is where Jesus puts his emphasis. He says, don't follow their example. They might get some of what the Bible says right, and when they do, listen to them, but don't follow their example because their lives are a total failure. The worst possible example to follow. Um, they, they preach but do not practice. They have a thin veneer of righteousness, but no righteousness underneath. What's he warning us, brothers and sisters? What's Jesus warning us about? Well, he's saying, first of all, that we need to watch out for teachers who sound good, but whose lives don't line up with what they say. I'm sure you can think of examples of preachers who, oh, that sounded, he's a, he's a good, he's a gifted preacher. Um, he's a gifted communicator. He sounds right. He sounds biblical. He sounds faithful. But then you find out about their lives. You see them when they're not in the pulpit. You see how their marriage falls apart. You see how they fall into some scandalous sin. Um, 
All kinds of examples we could point at just from the last few years of teachers, preachers that this has happened to. And there are other things, right? Less scandalous, less public things, though. Sins that, that can show up in, in lives of those who are leaders in Christ's church. Um, pride. Hypocrisy. Someone who is, who is speaking often about the humility of Christ is someone who's not humble. Someone who speaks with the gentleness of Christ, but themselves is not gentle. Someone who speaks about the holiness of Christ, but themselves seems to have no desire to walk in holiness. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen to teachers and preachers and follow, follow the example of those who, who speak of Christ and whose lives look like Christ. And not, not perfectly, but, but, but whose lives are, are clearly marked out as there's someone who is following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Be discerning in who you listen to and whose example you follow. That's one thing Jesus is telling us here. Another thing he's saying, though, is he calls us to watch out for hypocrites. Not only look out for hypocrites out there, but look out for the hypocrite right here. Right there. It's so easy um, to uh, point out hypocrisy in others. Um, Listening to a podcast this week, I heard someone say, uh, he was talking about a similar issue of, of complaining, but he said, um, it's like bad breath. You don't notice it in yourself. You notice it in everyone else. But you don't know when, when, when it's you. So it is, brothers and sisters, with hypocrisy. It's easy to see in someone else. But our own hearts are so quick to be hypocritical. And brothers and sisters, um, we need to be on guard against this. First of all, elders. We need to be on guard against this. Jesus is speaking here in particular of the example of the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, and he's saying, watch out for hypocrisy. So brothers, we need to be humble as we seek to be under shepherds of Christ. We are preaching a humble Christ. So we need to be humble in our example. We are preaching a, 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 a holy Christ, and so we need to walk in holiness and integrity. Uh, parents as well. Right? You're setting an example for your children. You're speaking to your children. Those two things need to match. You tell them, don't say that kind of thing in this house. Well, then you can't say that kind of thing in that house either. You tell them, you know, um, you need to be reading your Bible. But if they don't see you reading your Bible... You tell them it's important to, to glorify God and serve Him with all your work, but if they don't hear you speaking of that and, and walking in that and being an example of that, you, you, you tell them, have self-control. You need to show them self-control. We need to be practicing what we preach. It applies to parents. It applies to elders. It applies to all of us, brothers and sisters. Our lives need to match the profession of our faith. Does your life match what you profess with your mouth? So Jesus calls us, he condemns hypocrisy, calls us out of hypocrisy. He also condemns here, next, he condemns legalism. Verse 4, he says, um, They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The Pharisees are preaching the law without the gospel. They are, they are, they are, they are taking the commandments and they, they pile on the commandments into this, this great big pile that's 
that's, that, that's cumbersome and heavy and, and burdensome. And then they, they take the whole thing and they heave it onto your shoulders. And they say, good luck. Have a good trip. They're not going to do anything to help you. They give you the law, they give you the law, they give you the law, but they don't tell you how to live under the law. They don't tell you to live by God's law. They, 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 they give you all this to do, and then they say it's all up to you. All up to you. They don't move a finger to help. And by doing that, they're saying that um, the, way to, the way to be a follower of God the way to be in the covenant community of God is based on your merit, your hard work, your grit, your own ability. You work harder. You do more. You work harder. You be better. That's the only message they preach. Teaching like that is still so prevalent. I went to a Christian, uh, Christian school, Christian high school, um, but, but so many of the messages that I hear in chapel or Bible class would, would kind of echo that same thing. Just got to work harder, got to do better. You do it, you work harder. Not speaking of, 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 of the grace of God and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and it's still, it's, it's so prevalent. Teaching like that is um, attractive to us because it looks like a way that uh, I can do something about my problem. I can fix it and I can get some credit for fixing it. But um, Paul... His letter to the Colossian church reminds us that it's utterly useless to do this. He says in Colossians 2, 20-23, says, If you died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but... They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Legalism is helpless to help you. In contrast, consider Christ. He's just said, the scribes and Pharisees, they bind up these heavy burdens and they won't move a finger to help you with them. But, but think of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his example, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is so different from the scribes and the Pharisees. They bind up a heavy burden and they throw it on you and they say, you do it all yourself. Jesus says, take my yoke, my burden on you. It's, it's, it's light. And, and I'm going to bear it with you. I'll give you rest. Brothers and sisters, the burden that Jesus places on your shoulders is not heavy. Now, you might say, wait a minute. That's not so true, is it? Look what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says things like, you've heard it was said, you should not commit adultery. I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And then he also says, this was just a couple weeks ago, he says, um, you must love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You must love your neighbor as yourself. That's a heavy burden. That's heavier than anything the Pharisees are piling on your back, isn't it? Because Jesus is getting right down to the heart of things. Jesus seems to make the law heavier, not lighter. Jesus, the burden of the law that you require seems to be an impossible one. And yet, brothers and sisters, the difference is that Jesus comes and he bears the law for us. He himself gets under the burden. And he shoulders the weight. And he says, now now you come here. And you stand beside me. And you carry it with me. But all the weight is really on my shoulders. He comes and he, 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 he walks in righteousness. He, he takes all the law and he fulfills it so perfectly and so completely. And then, and then he, gives us, he gives us life by his spirit to walk in union with him in obedience. There's a wonderful saying. Some people say it was John Newton. I've heard it attributed to others. It doesn't really matter. But um, it sums up what Jesus is saying here so well. Um, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's a little, a little, uh, a little pithy poem here. It says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. The Pharisees, the scribes, say, run, run, run. Do everything the law says, but they don't give you feet. They don't give you hands. You can't do what they're asking you to do. Jesus comes along and he tells you something harder. Fly! Then he gives you wings. He gives you new life in his spirit. So brothers and sisters, take Christ's yoke. It's, it's easy and it's light because he has borne it for you and he bears it with you. That is what we hold on to. And that is what we live out. And that is what we share with others as well. The third thing Jesus condemns. So he's condemned hypocrisy. He's condemned legalism. third thing he condemns is pride. The scribes, the Pharisees, are motivated by the praise of men. Their whole goal in life is to get others to see how good they are and to make much of them for it. Uh, Jesus points out they make their phylacteries large uh, and enlarge the borders of their garments. Phylacteries are these boxes that they would keep uh, pieces of little, 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 little bits of Scripture in and they wear it. Uh, this is done as a literal way to obey texts like the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. You shall bind them on, the, on, on your forehead. You shall talk about them on the way. They, they took this very literally and they would bind parts of God's law on their foreheads. Jesus isn't saying not to do that, but he's, he's, he's condemning the way they're doing it. They're making theirs as, as noticeable and as prominent as possible. So they think, wow, he, he's, oh, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a real follower of God. They do this also with the fringe of their garment, um, which was uh, a reminder to them that they belong to God, they're part of God's covenant. Uh, Jesus himself, it seems, if you look at Matthew 9, 20, wore these uh, the, 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 this fringe on his garment, but the Pharisees and the scribes, um, they're, they're making theirs as prominent as possible. They, they make theirs big so that, so that you see it and you notice it and you say, now they're really committed 
And they, and they want other things, right? They want the best seats in the church. They want the best seats at the at, at the at the feast at the dinner. They want um, they want the, the table of honor, um, and they want as they go through the town square, they want people to notice them and greet them with with titles of respect and honor and, and adulation. Um, they want to be seen as the experts, the authorities, and the elite. Nothing about the religion. It's about God, really. They've flipped the whole thing upside down. And instead of being servants of the glory of God, they've made God a servant of glory of me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus condemns this. Um, so we need to ask, who, who, is, who is my faith about? Who is your religion about? Who is your Christianity about? Who is your life about? Is your life a performance to get respect, admiration, appreciation, or anything else from people? Or is your life a life serving the glory of God? Particularly, brothers and sisters in worship, do you come to church and sing and pray and listen Pay attention, take notes, visit and fellowship, serve on this or that committee, go home and do your family life, do your, do your work life. Is it, is it all for the glory of God? Or, or is it just a performance to get other people to, to notice you, to appreciate you, or to, or to do something in return for you? Have you given God your heart John Newton, again, heard this quote just the other day. He says, if you haven't given God your heart, what have you really given Him? Is your life about God? This is what Jesus calls us to. This is what He condemns. Hypocrisy, legalism, and pride that turn the worship of God and the service of God into worship and service of self. He commands us to be different. Let's look now at what he commands us to. So Jesus commands now, it's our second heading, Jesus commands sincere humility under the gospel of his kingdom. Sincere humility under the gospel of his kingdom. Uh, he gives us here three rapid-fire parallels uh, as he works now we're in 8 through 12, verses 8 through 12. He says, don't be called rabbi, don't call anyone father, don't be called teacher. Three overlapping things. Uh, first, verse 8, don't be called Rabbi, he says, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Notice here at the start of verse 8, he says, but you, he's drawing this contrast, he's saying you are to be so completely different from the hypocrisy, legalism, and pride of the Pharisees. Uh, don't be called Rabbi. Rabbi was a title of, of respect, great respect uh, for, for religious authority. Uh, Something like doctor, professor, reverend. Um, um, now, is Jesus saying that we shouldn't call anyone, put, put a title in front of anyone's name, shouldn't say sir or, or doctor or, or pastor or, or what have you? Um, is he saying we shouldn't use those kinds of titles? I don't think so. Um, fifth commandment calls us to honor those who are in positions of authority. And one way that we show that honor and deference is 
is through a title, an honorific. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I don't think Jesus is condemning that. Um, but, but what he is condemning, and it's really the deeper issue, isn't it, is, is that, that when, if you're seeking out a title for the title's sake, then that is wrong. Don't seek position and authority because you want others to notice you. Uh, he attaches two reasons to it. One, he says, there's only one teacher, the Christ. One teacher, and that's Christ him, himself. Um, second reason he gives is that we're all brothers. Brothers are equal. They're all just brothers. No rank, no hierarchy. And in the kingdom of God, it's the same way. Jesus is saying, as my disciples, you need to see that, that there's no rank, that there's not... Well, this one's a little higher than this one, but you're all equal under, under Christ. You're all brothers. Um, even the apostles. The, the disciples he's talking to are, are, are the apostles, aren't they? I mean, these are the men who are going to go on to lead the church, teach the church, have so much authority given to them by Christ to use to establish the church, uh, and yet they are to see themselves as brothers. And it's wonderful to see this peppered throughout the New Testament epistles. They'll, the apostles, they will refer to themselves as apostles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the will of God. But they also, and, and, and more often, refer to themselves servants. And, and they refer to those in the churches with them as brothers. Over and over in their letters, they call each other brothers. And so they're saying that they have a fundamental equality under the gospel. So it is in the church. The pastor and the newly minted baptized baby are on the same exact level before God. Yes, one has authority that has been given by Christ, but, but all are, are under Christ's authority. Brothers together. Brothers and sisters together. None of us in this church, none of us in Christ's church is more or less in God's eyes. Second, Jesus says, verse 9, he, he commands us not to call each other father. Um, similar to what he said previously about teacher. Uh, but, but here his point is not, again, that we can't call each other, uh, we can't call parents parents. Uh, you can't call your father father anymore. Um, Paul, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, first, uh, verse 15, tells the church there that he was their spiritual father. Um, Stephen, Acts 7, calls the assembly that he's addressing fathers and brothers. Um, so it's not wrong to, uh, to look up to people and call them, see them as a father figure uh, or to address your father as father. But Jesus' point is God is the one who has authority over you. God is the one that you look up to. God is the one that you respect. And, 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 and everything else is relativized by that. Think of, think of a, young, a young child. And the way that, for that young child, different people might say all kinds of different things. But, but, but what, is, what does daddy say? What daddy says, right? That, that's what defines everything for a young child. And so it is to be with our God. He is to have unquestioning trust. Uh, he is to have our unquestioning allegiance because he has all authority. Then Jesus tells us third, verse 10. Not to be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Again, he's not saying there are not teachers in his church. Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that Jesus gives teachers to his church. 
So yes, there is authority in Christ's church. Uh, that's, that he gives to, to people. But, but he's saying this. He's saying, when you, my apostles, teach people, it needs to be crystal clear that it's not really you teaching them. It's not your wisdom, your message, your insight, your instruction, your teaching, but mine. Paul gets at this in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ for your sake. The message is Christ. And Christ himself preaches it. Paul says this in Romans 10, verse 14. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? You believe when you hear Christ speak to you. He teaches. And so we are to be filled with humility, brothers and sisters. Because in this church, yes, there's a pastor. But we're all sitting together under Christ's authority and Christ's teaching. The one who preaches, preaches no more and no less than what Christ himself says in his word and is just as much under Christ's authority as everyone else is under Christ's authority. We are all uh, under Christ and, and being taught by Christ. And we sit under that together. So Jesus says these things. Then he moves to the final summary command that he gives. And this is what he has been building to throughout this. Verses 11 through 12. He says this, He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. In Christ's kingdom, the way up is down. Uh, The way to be great in Christ's kingdom is to be a servant in Christ's kingdom. Doesn't that ring true for you? The, the, the men, uh, the, the godliest men I know, the, the, and, and the most effective for the gospel men that I know, and, and, the, and the most brilliant men I know, are the most humble and, 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 and meek and gentle. They are servant-hearted and and yes, full of conviction and wisdom and courage, but, but, but meek, humble, like Christ is humble. How could it be otherwise? In the kingdom of Christ, the, the, those, those who know Christ best are going to be those who are humble like Christ. Brothers and sisters, um, how can we have any other ambition in Christ's kingdom than to be humble as Christ is humble, than to be lowly and to serve how can we say we follow Christ and, and then not want to, to walk in the humility in which he walked? If, if he came down from heaven high to serve us, how can we not be willing to serve one another? He says, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So when we come together, shouldn't we be saying, I come not to be served. I, I didn't come uh, on Sunday just to, just to hear, yes, to hear the gospel, but, not, but not, not, not to be served by my brothers and sisters only, but to serve them as well. If Jesus, our Lord and Master, washed our feet, we ought to wash one another's feet. If Jesus humbled himself to die for us, then there is no limit to the lowly, humble service to which we are called. No limit to the humility that we must embrace. Brothers and sisters, 
You are following Christ who humbled Himself. So humble yourselves. Humble yourself before Him and humble yourself before each other. Don't consider others as less significant than you, but see them as significant as you are. If you don't do this, Jesus says in the text here, He says if you, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. God Himself will, will come in judgment. And he'll, he'll, he'll humble you. He'll humble you under His wrath and His condemnation and the shame and the suffering of hell. But if you do humble yourself, repent and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says you'll be exalted. You'll be, you'll be raised up to new life in Christ in glory. If you, if you confess your sin and, and go to Christ and then serve Him humbly, and serve Him by serving others in the church, then He will raise you up and give you His own honor. Why is it? Is it because your humility earns that? Is it because what you did by being humble before Him and before others? No. This brings us back to, we're, we're, we're nearing the end of Jesus' uh, preaching ministry. Uh, we're, we're going into chapter 23, 24 and 25, his last major discourse here in Matthew's Gospel. Um, think, think of his opening words. Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, early verses. What does he say? Opening sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is describing here as well. Humility. To know, Lord, I have nothing to bring to the table to, to please You, to earn salvation from You, to get a place in Your kingdom. I come because You are the one who saves sinners. And I'm a sinner. That is how we go to Him. And that is how we go on in the kingdom of heaven. Looking to Him, brothers and sisters. So humble yourselves. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we look to our Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. We confess, O oh God, that, that we have nothing and are nothing apart from Him, and He is our hope, He is our Savior, He is our righteousness. Father, we pray that You would hide us in Him, fix us by faith firmly in Him. We pray that we would walk as He Himself walked. We pray it for His sake. Amen.